0: you and i are about to die by bill bryson when the lift broke down somewhere between the seventh and eighth floors the man beside me the only other passenger said rather a strange thing he said i was afraid this might happen i looked at him in some amazement you expected the lift to break down or worse he said enigmatically and lounged back against the wall watching without evident concern as I pushed the buttons on the control panel, all without effect. After a moment I sighed. Nothing. Even the alarm bell doesn't work. I was afraid of that as well. I looked at him again. He seemed curiously resigned and wholly unperturbed. Either you know something about this lift or you are a remarkable pessimist, I said he smiled and straightened up slightly it's just that i've come to expect these things they happen to me all the time indeed he nodded grimly you see i'm the unluckiest man in the world he gave me a moment to absorb this disarming confession then said i've something i think i should tell you something rather important he paused significantly, not to put to fine a point in it. You and I are about to die. I beg your pardon? Yes, it's most unfortunate. He glanced at his watch. We have just over five minutes. I think at the least you are entitled to an explanation. Clearly he was either joking or mad. I broke into a nervous smile and started to speak, but he silenced me. I assure you that in just over five minutes we will both dead. Would you like to know how? There was nothing in his expression to show that he was joking. Quite the contrary. Nor was there even the slightest indication that he might be mad. He was an affluent-looking man, self-made, I would have guessed, with a well-cut suit and leather-bound attaché case. I nodded. You see, he said, nothing is right for me any more. I have only to pick up a teacup, and it falls to pieces, or enter a lift, and it breaks down. He indicates our present circumstances. Until about three years ago, the very opposite was the case. Once, for instance, a friend gave me a tip on the derby. I misunderstood him bet on the wrong horse and won six hundred pounds that was the story of my life always lucky always winning long shots always finding fibers in the road even when things went wrong they turned out for the best one time hurrying to catch a plane i had a puncture and missed my flight the plane crashed eighty-one people were killed he looked at me do you get my point Again I nodded. I had a wonderful wife, two splendid children, a half-share in a small but prosperous factory. I inherited some money unexpectedly and invested it in stocks which climbed quietly and resolutely. My life was free of even the most minor setbacks. I was uncomfortably conscious of time slipping away. I'd like to know about the dying, I said quietly. He looked at me with the slightest hint of irritation, and then, he went on, things went gradually started to go back. I lost my car keys. Someone spilled a drink over me at the pub. I was bitten by a dog. None of this had ever happened to me before. My stocks began to decline and then to plummet. My car was stolen. It was found, returned, and stolen again. My father died and my brother died. My house was burgled. I became obsessed with my misfortune. I was afraid to go out for fear it'd be hit by a bus. Finally, my partner came to me and suggested I go away somewhere for a rest. It seemed a good idea, so I booked into a private clinic in Scotland. On my third night, there, it burned down he looked at me searchingly when i returned home i found out that my wife had moved in with my partner and that he was quite leasing me out of the business that was three weeks ago when that i'm afraid was the final straw i built this he held up his leather bound attaché case there's a bone in here he said simply i stared at him and felt my legs go weak without a word I turned and began pushing the buttons on the control panel. I was on my way to see my partner just now, the man went on. My life is finished. I thought at least I'd take him with me. I began pounding on the doors and bellowing for help. I'd keep my voice down if I were you, said my companion. I'm afraid this thing is noise sensitive. I stopped and looked at him. It will go off if it's shaken or in any way tampered with, he shrugged apologetically. I'm a munition expert. I thought of everything. He seemed, calmly resigned. He looked at his watch and said, we have just over thirty seconds. I'm sorry. I felt no panic, but instead a rage, a sense of incredible injustice that this should be happening to me. I pushed the control buttons fruitlessly. What else could I do? i was vaguely aware of the other man sitting himself down in the corner with the attache case on his lap twenty seconds he said his eyes fixed to his watch it is an amazing thing how slowly the seconds tick away when there are only a handful of them left to you They say your life passes before your eyes but mine didn't all i could think about was the next few hours the confusion our deaths would create police tramping around someone having to tell my wife a inevitable bafflement would she ever know how it had come to be blown to bits or would it remain a mystery to her forever ten seconds said my companion and then began the long monotonous countdown nine eight seven six five four three two i shut my eyes and wondered what it would feel like. There was an enormous and almost palpable silence. Nothing happened. I opened my eyes. I don't know how much time passed, but it was at least a minute, perhaps a good deal more. My companion was staring at he touched a case. He held it to his ear, shook it once, and pushed it away in disgust. You see, he said to me, you see, Nothing goes right anymore.